Verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. Let's pray. Our Father in God, again we come before you with an open heart, with uh, desire. Lord, our responsibility as believers, my responsibility as a teacher of the Word of God is not to add to the word, is not to take from the word, but, Father, is to deliver your message so that we might understand it. And, Father, we need that in every single practical area of our life, including the one we're talking about. And so I pray that you'd help us to understand it, rightly divided, uh, that you would give us guidance, especially in this delicate area. And uh, we pray that, above all, you'd be glorified in everything that's said and done, and that our heart's desire would be to honor you with our entire life. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for the promises of the word and uh, look forward to our study now as we look to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Wisdom and alcohol, this is part two. We're dealing with a very practical and sensitive area as I studied, uh, mentioned last week. And we are doing this as a part of the study of the book of Proverbs, practical area, and again, not to avoid it. And we're dealing with practical wisdom in our personal lives for the benefit, first of all, of everybody, but particularly if you were not here um, last week. Uh, I mentioned that it would take at least two messages, and I believe, as I've continued to study and put this together, as I said, it's two or three, and it's probably going to go three, and it's unfortunate because uh, we don't have an evening service next week, so it'll wait till after that. But it is important, and I would ask again that uh, before you draw conclusions on everything that you heard, all of the material, at least as it's intended to be preached. So uh, having said that, I want to get uh, into it, but I want to remind us of the groundwork that was laid in part one of our message. And I will just do a summation of of a number of the things that we learned. We learned that in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are different words that are used, uh, but they are all connected to the word in some way, shape, or form of wine. Uh, There are words such as new wine. There is mixed wine. There is strong drink. Uh, There are a number of terms that are used. And some deal with, uh, like the new wine deals with the freshness and the sweetness. And I didn't go into great depth on that because you will find various things on that. Some say, uh, for example, that it's just like grape juice. And I have read uh, Dr. Walke, who is uh, considered one of the top on particularly the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. And uh, he says it was absolutely fresh and sweetest, but it was also the strongest, uh, the new wine. So uh, you, you can go all over the place. The point is... There were different wines uh, that are mentioned, but it comes down to wine. And what is it, uh, to put it very bluntly to you, it's nothing more than rotten grapes. That's all wine is. I mean, uh, you know, if uh, you talk about uh, even cider, what is it? It's rotten apples. And, uh, and uh, usually cider is made from all the apples that dropped off the ground that nobody wanted to pick up, so they take them back and they make cider out of them. And that can become strong cider as well, or what we call hard cider. But when we're talking about wine, what you're dealing with is rotten grapes. And what I 
went through that part with to get to is this, and I think it's important for you to remember, and it, it's very consistent with the scriptures, and that is all the wine, it didn't matter what type of wine is mentioned, all the wine had the potential, and if it didn't, you wouldn't have the warnings. All of it had the potential for intoxication or drunkenness. You can't get away from that. Uh, whatever it's talking about, and you can look at all the mixes and so forth, and I'll talk about that again just in a second. But the bottom line is it all, at some point in time, had the potential of making one intoxicated or drunk. Um, we also noted that the wine of Bible days was not the same wine that we are talking about today. Generally, it was all mixed. It was all usually mixed with water. There were some other situations. But uh, normally what you had, and there are, again, are books on this. I have a couple in my office, one that goes into pretty extensive material on it. But all of it, uh, as you look at it, was with the concept of mixing water and wine. And the normal, when you break down, I don't know what you want to call normal, but the way they would say it, with the normal mix would be three parts water in one pot wine. When you did have unmixed wine, where it was not mixed with water, that was usually referred to as that which the barbarians would be the ones drinking that type of uh, wine. When you see strong drink, uh, again, the best information that I could gather on it, that the strong drink was usually a 50-50 mix. It was stronger because it was uh, for example, two pots water and two pots wine, it was a 50-50 mix. Um, understand, though, as we talked about that without going into a lot of that detail, again, we said it was different, and it was mixed to reduce the alcoholic content. That is just the opposite of what you have today. What you have today is uh, distilling, and the distilling process, which I went into just general comments on it last week, but came out... Uh, long time after what you see in the scriptures, uh, that distilling process is designed to increase the alcoholic content, not to decrease the al alcoholic content. It was also different in Bible times uh, in that it wasn't like we had, uh, have today, in supply. Uh, basically, we said it was limited. It was grown locally, and uh, as it was grown locally, it was used for feast, and at the outset, you might have people that, and it was true, that would try to keep on basically a week's supply that was available so if the town had a feast, that the people could be involved in the wine, drinking of the wine. It is absolutely not like that today. Today, we have unlimited manufacture for business and supply of wine. It is totally different in that respect. We do still have local vineyards and, and so on that grow it, particularly in European, some European countries and out in California and other parts of our own country, but it is now in unlimited supply as opposed to the limited supply. I won't go into the detail, but we pointed out last week, and I do want you to remember this, that the drunkenness, and I use the term drunkenness, and the drinking was associated, it led to that drunkenness, with appeasing the gods. And both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we find that it was a problem because in pagan worship, part of their worship 
involved immorality, which led to the uh, prostitutionalization at the temple, uh, and also drunkenness and wild dance. And that's what was at these feasts to try to appease the gods. And in fact, it became a problem, we learned. And that's why you have what you do in the Corinthian church, where he addresses the fact, look, you can't drink the cup of the Lord and drink the cup of demons or the cup of pagans because they were still coming out of that worship and trying to mix the two, and you couldn't do it. Why did they mix the wine? And uh, almost done with quickly reviewing here. They mixed the wine. I gave you four reasons, and I'm going to repeat them again. One was to conserve the supply of the wine. They mixed them so because it was not as abundant as it is today. Uh, they mixed it to conserve its supply. They also uh, used wine for another purpose. They used it for an antiseptic. In what way? To sterilize or sanitize the water. It would kill the germs. And it was also used in a process to mend or to heal. Thirdly, we said it was also mixed because it was used that way to increase the flavor of the grapes, or the flavor of the wine. And fourthly, it was to prevent drunkenness. It was mixed so that you did not get drunk as quickly if you were drinking the wine. And as you would go back and study in a number of sources, what you'd come back to, the idea in the Old Testament and in the New Testament is that wine was used, and this is very important, for safety reasons, for protection of germs, for healing, uh, for rejoicing. It was not used except for those who got involved in drunkenness. The concept was not uh, destruction, death, or big business, not whatsoever. That was not the New Testament or Old Testament concept. It was basically, like water, it was a staple drink. Wine was a staple drink back then and uh, was used, as I said, to basically uh, kill some germs and so forth. Having laid that foundation the first time um, in, in trying to give you, as I said, uh, for the benefit of those who weren't here, there's so much material, and I'm trying to give it to you in a nutshell so it doesn't go beyond three messages. Uh, so we're kind of pulling it all down. But our, we ought to rightly divide the word of God. We ought to add to it, no. We ought to subtract from it, no. We are not to do that. And so to be true to the scriptures, there has to be the presentation of the positive part that people are usually afraid to even look at. But the wine is presented in a very positive way also in scripture. And we want to take a look at that for a moment tonight. Number one, wine was part of the offerings that were made. Go with me to Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23. And we're pointing this out so you have the full balance on it. And for the most part, we'll just look at one, two verses on some of these. Again, you can research it a lot further yourself. But Leviticus 23, I will read verses 13 and 14. There you see its grain offering shall then be two-tenths of an ephith, of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering by fire to the Lord for a soothing aroma with its drink offering. What was that? 
a fourth of a hin of wine until the same day until you have been brought, you have brought, excuse me, in the offering of your God, you shall eat neither bread nor roast grain uh, nor new growth. It is a perpetual statute throughout your generations in all your dwelling places. Part of the law offerings that was there was a drink offering which was involved with offering wine to the Lord. Now, in case you don't know what a hen is, by the way, it's approximately the equivalent of a gallon, or 3.5, I guess it would be, if you talk about liters, thereabouts, 3.5 liters. And so they were to offer a fourth of that in the drink offering. So wine was used as an offering to the Lord. Why? Because he blessed the, the land with that, which leads us to the second point. Wine was also seen as a blessing from the Lord. Go back with me to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. It says there, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first fruits of all your produce. So, your bonds will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. Again, you cannot escape it. It is very clear in verses 9 and 10. Let's understand a little bit of the context there. It is basically saying, it's really dealing with our giving to the Lord. And you are to give to the Lord the first fruits of all of your produce. You don't hold back from that because the Lord will provide for you. As a matter of fact, if you provide for him, he will fill your bonds, and you see that pretty consistent, and also the vats of, of wine. Now, why would that be? Why would it be used in offerings? Why would it be used and seen in Scripture as a blessing? Uh, because it was God's provision for man in providing for all of his needs, and it was also seen as something that was satisfying. Turn with me to Psalm 104. Psalm 104. Psalm 104. In the 104th Psalm, just go right down to it in verses 13 through 15. It's talking about really how the Lord comp uh, cares for us in every aspect throughout Psalm 104, but I want to get right to the heart of what we're dealing with. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers, the earth is satisfied with the fruit of his works, it says. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle, the vegetation for the labor of man, so that he may bring forth fruit, uh, food excuse me, from the earth. And wine he makes, which, which makes excuse me, man's heart glad, so that they may, his face, glisten with oil and food which sustains man's hearts man's heart. Now, let me say this, these verses have been abused also. In the context, though, what you see is that God provides in every single way for man, even the food from the fruit of the field and the fruit of the vine is also. And it says right there clearly, it makes glad man's heart. It was seen as how making him heart. Was this through drunkenness? Absolutely not in the context. And you will see that elsewhere. 
It was the gladness also that comes not just from the wine, which it's re reference to, but the fruit of being satisfied by the Lord. Go with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. So again, we understand this is not the same wine. It wasn't produced in the same way as it is today, but it certainly was seen as an offering. It was seen as a blessing coming from the Lord. It was seen as a provision from the Lord. <coughs> and Solomon, I believe, who was the writer of Ecclesiastes personally, in chapter 9, verse 7, it says, Go then, eat your bread, he says, in happiness, and drink your wine with a cheerful heart, why? For God has already approved your works, he says in verse 7. He says, go ahead and drink and, and also eat of the food. Why? Do it cheerfully. Why? God's provision. Now, in case you think that's out of context, just one of the passages there. Go back to chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes for just a moment. Chapter 3. And I guess I got this wrong. Because I have verse 24, but that can't be right. Ah, it's, it's 2. 2.24. He says, There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen, that it is from the hand of God, as he looks at it. And he's dealing with work. He's dealing with labor. If you go back <coughs> and, use, and look at chapter 2. And the folly of it, also in a sense that it's vanity, but it, it's also something that God provides, and it comes from his hand. And it is true. It was also used one other way in a positive. We've kind of seen this, so I'll refer to uh, the New Testament, and uh, you can look at it on your own on the first one. But John chapter 2, uh, verses 6 through 2. Well, let's go there. John chapter 2. In John chapter 2, verses 6 through 10, and this was the wedding feast at Cana, and in verse 6, it says, now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, all right, cleaning the hands, cleaning the feet, cleaning whatever as it came in containing 20 or 30 gallons each. <clears throat> the Lord said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up with the, to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him when the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine. And you don't have water that becomes wine. It was changed to wine, very clearly in Scripture. He did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. They had a way to call the bridegroom and said to him, and I'm reading this so you get the context. Every man serves the good, wor uh, good wine first, and when people have drunk freely or a lot or for a long time, then the poorer wine comes out. Why? Because they can't recognize it. Why? Drunkenness. And he said to him very clearly in the context that, look at this wine that you're giving me is the best. 
And if it was that, it should have come out in the beginning. So after they've had these days of celebration by then. And uh, obviously, this did not go through the fermentation process, by the way. The Lord just miraculously changed it. Go with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, verses 32 to 34, you'll recognize it. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it says in verse 32, Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But the Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him, and he bandaged up his wounds, pouring what? Oil and wine. Remember last week, if you were here, I talked about the wineskins, that they carried wineskins, and most of the time it was almost like a paste as they went through that process. We mentioned that last week. Here's an example. He had, obviously, uh, with him on his journey some oil and some wine, and he poured them on them, and he put them, <coughs> put him on his own beast and brought him to the inn. Now, why did he do that? He would have done it for two reasons. What would the wine, purpose of the wine be? Grape juice? I don't think so. And there's no way that that is a different Greek word at all. It's the same Greek word, ornis, ornis, that we'd find throughout the New Testament. What have you got? It would have been used as an antiseptic. Why the oil? The oil is what would have healed. And you see that it was done in a process to help heal. If it was not wine that was like that, it would not have fulfilled its purpose. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 I think it's another significant passage at least to be aware of. As Christians, we ought not to avoid this. We ought not to shy away from it. And as I said, even last week in my opening messages, oftentimes people get accused of being unjust with the word of God because they won't even address them. But in 1 Peter chapter 5, in verse 20, 1 Timothy, did I say that? 1 Timothy chapter 5, yes. Okay, I'm thinking because I'm looking at my notes at a number of things. But 1 Timothy chapter 5 is what I want. 1 Timothy 5. Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, verse 23, no longer drink water. Now, you have an insert that says exclusively why. He was a water drinker. But use a little wine. Why? For your, the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. And I have seen some people bend this thing all around the place to try to avoid, again, uh, its use. No, this use was clear. It wasn't the wine of today, first of all. It was done differently. Uh, but it had the content there so that it could heal or at least relieve for Timothy for medicinal purposes the problems that he was facing with his ailments. And so what, we, what we're saying to you there, and that's just a sample, is that also you will find in Scripture that throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament, there is reference to wine, and there was reference to wine in a good context, that it was used for even bringing an offering to the Lord, even as seen as a blessing, even seen as God's 
provision. Okay, so there's, there's another aspect to the wine. So then again, how do we balance this? Well, the next thing I want to get into with you is a lot of people don't like to face this one. <clears throat> and what is that? That there were some people in Scripture <clears throat> that were not allowed to drink wine whatsoever. They could not touch it. Why? Because the Lord said so. Who? Number one, the Levitical priests. Go with me to uh, uh, chapter 10 of the book of Leviticus. And let me get right down <clears throat> to the heart of it. Right to verse 9. Levitical priesthood. I'll go back to verse 8. There's only a few words there. The Lord then spoke to Aaron saying, Do not drink wine or strong drink. Okay? Neither you nor your sons with you when you come into the tent of meeting so that you will not die. It is a perpetual statute throughout your generations. They were carrying on the functions of the priesthood and they were absolutely not to touch it. Why? They were representing, if you go on, they were representing God to the people. And as such, they were not to be involved in drinking wine in that priesthood. And you can go on and study other passages on that. A second one. Anyone who took a Nazarite vow, go with me to Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6. <clears throat> beginning in verse 1. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When a man or woman makes a special vow, a vow of a Nazarite, what is that? He's dedicating himself to the Lord. He shall abstain from wine, strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar whether made from wine or strong drink, neither shall he drink any grape juice, there's the distinctions there, nor eat fresh or dried grapes. All the days of his separation, he shall not eat anything that is produced by the grapevine from the seeds even to the skin. That's pretty clear. Nazarite vow. Anyone who was involved, probably the one most well-known in the Old Testament is Samuel. Anyone know anybody, by the way, there's a test, in the New, New Testament? Who said that? Somebody had it. John the Baptist was probably a Nazarite. And Nazarite vow. Right. And you'll see that if you want to know that, just turn to Luke on your own, Luke chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. And he wouldn't touch it. So there were restrictions. Is that all? No. Kings were not, it wasn't for kings. How do we know that? Go with me to Proverbs 31. 
Proverbs 31. And by the way, Levitical priesthood, and if you went on in that chapter, they represented, as I said, God to the people. Nazarite vow, highest vow that you could take outside who was someone, <coughs> excuse me, that was separated unto God. Kings or rulers, why? Proverbs 31, we'll be back here later, but in verse 4. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire strong drink. For they will drink and forget what is decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. And some look at those <clears throat> passages and say, well, obviously you're dealing with drunkenness because they are affected by it in verse 5. You cannot ignore verse 4. They were not to have it. They were not to have it. Why? The vertical priesthood wasn't to have it. The Nazarite vow wasn't to have it. The kings. And I want you to see something else in this realm. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 5 for a moment. Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5 is an interesting passage that I would suggest... You take some time on your own, I won't tonight, to really read the whole chapter. <clears throat> but I will focus in on verse 22. He's dealing with the leaders. And he says to them in verse 22, Woe to those who are heroes. What? In drinking wine, the people were looking up to them. And valiant men in mixing strong drink who justify the wicked in a bribe. Their whole, if you look at the thing, he comes down strong because it even was at the point in chapter 5, people were calling evil good and good evil, and they had it all mixed up, and he comes very strong as an entire warning against Israel and its leaders because the people that were being looked up to were, and the heroes were actually people that were involved in drinking and were involved in strong drinking. I'm only pointing this out again to show you this, that people that were in those positions, specifically named in those positions, all of them represented God. And what was the problem? Well, it really came out in Proverbs. God did not want their judgment to be clouded. He did not want their judgment to be taken away. He did not want them to be used by the people as a reason for their doing wrong. You will find that in Scripture. And I'm not surprised, now we just went through this, that when you come to the New Testament, and let's turn to the one that we had in Titus. Let's go to Titus chapter 1 to find this. In Titus chapter 1, and in verse 7, one of the qualifications for an elder is for the overseer must be above reproach, uh, proof, excuse me, reproach, let me try that again, as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine. And it says the same thing, by the way, in 1 Timothy 3. 
And many a person looks at that and say, well, Pastor Dan, obviously it's talking about addicted to wine. There is no word addicted in the Greek. It isn't there. It, it, the concept is what I had taught you earlier on Sunday mornings. It's, it's really one word in the Greek, and it's one that is not at the presence of wine. That's what it is. It's one that's not known as a drinker. Uh, it is one that is not a friend. His companion is not wine. And, and people wouldn't see that person that way. Why? Why do you think that was given? They're the leaders again. They're the leaders. They're the ones that are representing. And we're not there yet, but we'll end up dealing with the concept of stumbling blocks. We'll end up dealing with the concepts of what can happen uh, with excuse. And so, um, and by the way, some say, well, what it's dealing with is drunkenness. It can't be, because we're going to deal with drunkenness. Drunkenness is a sin. Drinking wine was not a sin. Got that? Drunkenness is a sin. So it can't be dealing with, don't let the elder be a drunkard. It would have said that. He's saying, don't let the elder be at the presence of wine. Don't be him a man that is known as a drinker. Don't let him be a man that is a friend of wine. That's really the idea. And the only place that you see where the restrictions came were in these positions where their influence could be great, number one, and number, or I should say number two, number one, was that they were in the presence of God. So let's summarize some of the things we've gone over already. All of the wine had a potential to lead to intoxication. Um, we see that it was a blessing. It was provided by God. It was used as offerings. It, it was uh, part of the fruit of what God would bless with. Some particular cases, there were people that were restricted from partaking of it altogether. Why? I just gave you a number of reasons why. And there are warnings that are given everywhere. Um, Ephraim, turn with me to uh, 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 the book of Isaiah again, verse chapter 28. Isaiah 28. There were warnings that were given to the people with drunkenness. Why? Because drunkenness is the sin. That's where the sin is. And it can get to this. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. You can do it. Let me read just the beginning of it. Watch. Isaiah 28. Woe to the proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim. What's the problem? Drunkenness. No question. And to the fading flower of the glorious beauty which is the head of the uh, fertile valley, are those who are overcome with wine. They were smitten by it. They were overtaken by it. Behold, the Lord has a strong and mighty agent as a strong storm of hail, tempest of destruction, like storm of mighty overflowing waters. He has cast it down to the earth with his hand, the proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim. These were supposed to be the people of God were known as drunkards, and that's what he's rebuking, without question. The fading flower of its glorious beauty, I'm just going to take it down to verse 8, which is the head of the feudal, uh, fertile valley, will be like the first ripe fig prior to summer, which one sees as soon as it is in his hand, he swallows it. In that day, the Lord of hosts will become a beautiful crown, a glorious diadem. 
the remnant of his people, a spirit of justice for him who sits in judgment, a strength for those who repel the onslaught at the gates. These also reel with wine and they stagger from strong drink. That's an indication that there was drunkenness. Who was it? Look, the priests and the prophets reel with strong drink. They are confused by wine. They stagger from strong drink. They reel while having visions. Now I'll stop right there. It was, and well, I have to finish the verse. They totter when rendering judgment. That's what happened to them. First of all, they shouldn't have been drinking. Second of all, it overtook them. And where did the sin come in? For them, by drinking, while they were prophesying, they were confused. They weren't able to make right decisions. They were claiming visions in the middle of it, and the Lord entirely rebukes the whole nation because of it. Go with me to Proverbs 20, where we started tonight. Proverbs 20. Proverbs chapter 20. <clears throat> Verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whosoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. What is it dealing with? Intoxication. What's it dealing with? You need to understand a couple of things. First of all, he, the word mocker is the same word that's used in chapter 19. What is it? Go to 25. Strike a scoffer. That's the same word. Strike a scoffer, and the naive, the naive may become shrewd. 28. A rascally witness makes a mockery, and it's the same word again, scoffer. So if you think of a scoffer, that's what it is. Wine is a scoffer. It laughs at us. Strong drink is a brawler. That was because it's even stronger. And whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. Why? Because they're taken over by it. It is not condemning wine per se. What is condemned in scripture is drunkenness. Go with me to one other passage that I don't want to forget tonight. Joel. Go with me to Joel chapter 1. Joel chapter 1. Verses 5 and 6. Joel's giving, as you will see there, prophecy in this book. He says, Awake, drunkards, and weep, and wail, all you wine drinkers. On account of the what? Sweet wine. How did they get there? How did they get to drunkenness? How did they get to being wine drinkers and lovers of drinking wine? Started with the sweet wine, the first product of the wine that is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has invaded my land, mighty and without number. Its teeth are the teeth of a lion, and it has the fangs of a lioness. And it can go on. It has made my vine a waste, and the fig tree splinters, and it goes on. What have you got? You've got all kinds of warnings that are given in Scripture, leading to what? Drunkenness. Leading to drunkenness. You've got something that God intended to be good and God gave as a fruit of the vine and gave as a drink to be used the right way and man takes it 
and he's the one that abuses it. So it had the potential, but was wine in and of itself condemned? The answer is no. Is drunkenness condemned? Is, con drunkenness, is drunkenness sin? Absolutely yes, without question. And uh, we'll begin on that area next time. But what is the concept? What, is, what controls us? What are we to do with our lives as Christians? Let me close with this. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> you say, I know where you're going, Pastor Dan, verse 18. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let's start in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. What? An offering, a sacrifice to God. It's a fragrant aroma. And then he goes on and lists all the things to stay away from. Then he comes down to verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time. Why? Because the days are evil. So then don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine. That is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit. What is the issue? There is no question. Let's be true to the Scriptures. Drunkenness. There is no room for drunkenness. It's absolute sin. But don't overlook what the concept is here. If you're going to be controlled, and that's what being filled, people talk about being filled by the Spirit and going to get more of the Spirit and more of the Spirit. You have as much of the Holy Spirit as you're ever going to get when you get saved. The idea is if you're going to be controlled by anything, be controlled by Him. Let Him control your life with all your decisions. So what should we do with what we've covered so far, Pastor Dan? I will deal with drunkenness. I will deal with what drunkenness does. I'm really debating about statistics. I have so many different statistics, and they're all over the place. Uh, the, and you can always look up statistics on anything. Um, but we want to look at the practicality of it as well. But so since we're going to leave this now and not be back to it next week, understand this. Take the scriptures for what it said. It all had the potential to intoxicate. There were people that and they were able to rejoice and partake gloriously to the Lord. It wasn't the same as today. It wasn't in the mass production. It was never used, intended to be used that way. Did it get involved for drunkenness? Yes, you can go all the way back to Noah, right? All the way back to Noah and find out that he drank too much. And he got drunk and created a problem in his own household back then. But what is it that's really condemned? It's drunkenness, but the concept is for us to be controlled by the Spirit of God. Recognize that the wine today and the way it's produced today and the fermentation process today is not the same as going to a vineyard and taking the grapes and doing it the way they did in the Old Testament. It is not. It is not. 
It was a staple drink, much like what you might find in some place, the most famous known is like Italy today. It was a staple drink that was at the table that would be used, and that would be true in Bible days. If you had somebody that came across, that you came across as a Christian, and they happen to have a glass of wine, what should you do? Kill them? No. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. In love, you should just leave it there. If you see somebody that's drunk, that's a problem, major problem. There's a lot of risks that come that need to be thought about. We can't get to that tonight. But what I will say is, you obviously, if you're living in the 21st century, are well aware of the warnings that are being given out, given out all the time. With drunken drivers. They didn't have, in the New Testament or Old Testament, people driving cars smashing into one another. They didn't have it. I know of some people, and I'm sure you do as well, who have not been drunk, but who have been stopped and had alcohol on their breath and had destruction come in their own family, loss of license, some who lost their ministries because of it. It's a high risk, and we'll talk about that. But please understand again that the sin is drunkenness, but there was warnings that were given. Why? Why were the warnings given? We'll see that next time when we get into the book of Proverbs, particularly, where we'll see that judgment is impaired, decisions are made, poverty comes, all kinds of things can come down the path when a person goes down that and pursues it. But let's close tonight in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us to desire to be pleasing to you in all that we do. We thank you for what you do provide. And I pray, Father, and ask that you'd help us to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, to allow him to guide and direct in our lives. Help us to be careful when it comes to the judgment of others. But at the same time, Help us to heed the warnings that can come down the path when we get to that with drunkenness. And we pray, Father, you give us a good understanding as we continue on the subject. And that, Father, through it all, our lives would be pleasing to you and you will be glorified in and among each and every one of us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.